0: has it that you might like this guy named Jesus. Is that true? Yes. Yes. Uh, You've come to love him? Yes. (laughs) Why did you do that?
1: (laughs) Because he sought me out.
0: (laughs) Uh, How long ago did he do that?
1: (laughs) I don't know, I think that's him, here's the mystery, but when I was about 17, things started changing for sure.
0: How old are you now? 32. Mm, still a long way to go. Uh, <laughs> but you're here because that's very true, and uh, true of all of us. Um, I believe the, uh, your wife uh, and children are up the back there. Welcome among us. May, your, may you endure all that you have to endure so he can preach well. Okay, thank
1: you.
0: When did you meet her? Uh,
1: At high school in year 10.
0: Praise the Lord, that's wonderful. And you both decided to go into ministry? Yep. (laughs) Why did you do that?
1: (laughs) Because he sought me out and called me to do that, and she was happy to consent.
0: (laughs) So you are both trying to shepherd the flock?
1: Yeah, I mean, we do that differently, of course, but um, sooner felt called to me, and I felt called to ministry, so she felt called to what I felt called to.
0: Well, anyone who God calls to himself and wants to look after his people and keep them faithful to our Lord Jesus and loving one another, brings tears to my eyes. So I pray, let me pray, and you may be. Lord Jesus, I'm very grateful that one you have chosen, his wife and children are willing to take that risky route of trying to shepherd your people and build your church, particularly in the western suburbs, I thank you for it and pray you'll give us ears to hear, eyes to see and hearts to respond to what you're trying to say to us through him and I pray you will be so kind as to bless him and his family because of this family amongst us. Jesus our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, um,
1: brothers and sisters, for having me uh, today. Uh, i try and say a little bit more about myself, um, but um, I do know Nate, and um, we've had the privilege of studying a little bit with him in terms of our accreditation studies um, at, out at Cranebrook at Greater West um, campus there, so got to know him over number of years there, and then uh, recently he, he reached out to me, I think he knew that I was on uh, sabbatical, I'll tell you a little bit about that in a moment, but uh, he knew I was on sabbatical, so maybe felt less guilty for asking me to come and, and speak, um, but it's a blessing to be here, and I think this might be one of the few times that I've preached outdoors, so there you go, um, it's nice to be here, even in the cold, I'll try and look this way, forgive me if I forget, um, but uh, I'll try and try and look both ways. My church, uh, Westview Baptist Church in Dooneside has given us a sabbatical year so our church has practiced this for a long time but every seventh year uh, those in, uh, particularly in leadership, but those in sort of roles in the church are are given a year off those roles uh, to rejuvenate, to refresh, to restore uh, and to help them prepare for the future. It sounds a bit strange but yeah, the whole year you don't do what you usually do. Um, people always say to me, "What do you do?" <laughs> Lots of different things, um, but try try to be faithful to resting and restoring the soul. And uh, this is my first of those, and it's been very strange. But I can see already how the Lord has really blessed us through it, and it's been a really, it has been a really a restoring time. I'll speak I'll speak more to that today. I think um, uh, that's about it. You met Sona, my wife my son Reuben and Ivy, our little daughter, um, so blessed to have have them and um, and as as was alluded to, it is a service for them to come along, especially a young family, as some of you would know, is a bit uh, difficult in, in in the church life, but um, yeah it's a blessing to to show them God's people as well and for them to get used to that. I'm going to pray for myself and for us uh, as I've prepared to do, so let me pray. Father, we do thank you so much for this morning. Uh, thank you for the cold and the freshness of the day. Thank you for all your goodness toward us. Um, thanking, thank you, Lord, that even though many of us don't know each other, um, particularly me knowing the rest, thank you that we are brothers and sisters um, of God Most High, um, that we are brothers and sisters of Jesus our King, that we are dearly loved children. We're chosen in Him. We're precious in your sight, and so we ask you, our dear Father, for your Holy Spirit to flood our hearts and minds this morning. As we sit again under your holy word of truth, we ask that the joy of Christ Jesus our Lord, that great and wonderful and indescribable joy, would be afresh and a new or ever more deeply rooted in us. And even, Father, maybe for the first time, that the joy of Christ would be our great strength that our joy would be full in him, in you, Lord Jesus. So I pray that you would overwhelm us this morning, dear Father, with your wondrous love for us and your provision for us in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the incredible gift of your Holy Spirit. We pray this, we pray it together so that your church, Christ's bride, would be built up, that we would bear much fruit to your glory and praise. We ask this, Abba Father, in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, very. Uh, there's been a few passages in the last few years that have been very significant for me, and probably none more than John 15, and so that's what we're going to sit in a bit today. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, please do open them to John 15. John 15, and we're starting from verse 1. Um, these are the words of Jesus. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser or the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full or complete. There's so much here in this passage, of course, we could spend the rest of the year unpacking it, Uh, really, truly, I mean that. Uh, There's so much here, but this morning I want to focus just on verse 5. Let me read that again. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me, or remains in me, stays connected to me, and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. I find these words of Jesus so remarkably incredible. Uh, Jesus' analogy is of course one that we were talking about even this morning, a branch that's cut off from the vine, uh, from its life source, it's a, it's a dead branch. It's, it's a simple analogy, really. Um, no vine equals no life. You cut off the vine, you cut off the branch, it has no sustenance, it has no nutrients, it's cut off, it's dead. That branch that's cut off can no longer produce fruit. It's impossible for it to do so, is the analogy. And its sustenance, as I said, has been cut off. Jesus is, of course, speaking, though, here in this analogy about his followers, people who choose to be his disciples, to follow him... Uh, remaining in Him, there that He is our spiritual life source, that apart from staying connected to Him, apart from this abiding in Him, nothing of true value in God's sight is the idea here, nothing of eternal worth and value. Of course, we can do things apart from Jesus, can't we? <laughs> we can drive a car, we can do whatever we want, but nothing of any true eternal value or worth. Nothing that brings glory to the Father can be done apart from connection with Jesus. Apart from me, you can do nothing. These words might have striked your hearts before. I'm sure maybe for some of us they have. Um, But I've got to ask the question this morning, do we really believe Jesus' words here? If we really believe Jesus' words, particularly you can do nothing apart from me, I think we would live very differently, wouldn't we? I know I would. With our actions, I think, brothers and sisters, most of the time we as Christians live as if Christ has saved us, even maybe He sought us out, but that now basically we live as if it's up to us really. He did the work, he saved us, and now it's up to us. I know probably all of us here would not believe that. If, if I had you write down on, on paper what you believe, I'm sure probably all of it would say, he did the work, he continues to do the work through us, we rely on him, he, all that stuff. But what I'm saying is not what we think up here, but what we believe with our living is very differently, very different. And I say this first and foremost as to myself. I know that's how I basically live. Christ saved me, now it's up to me. I've got to kind of do the work. But God never intended for us to live this way. And in fact, Jesus tells us off, if you want, right here, for trying to live that way. Christ never said, all right, well, I'm off now. All the best. See how you go. Whoever's the strongest will survive. He didn't say that, did he? In fact, he said right the opposite. Abide in me. Remain in me. Continue in me. Stay connected in a relationship with me. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. They're such strong words, aren't they? Nothing. And yet, I try, we try, again and again, and we fail again and again, to live in our own strength as Christians. Let's talk a little bit about fear this morning, something that I know well. What were the disciples expecting of Jesus They were expecting the earthly Messiah, right? The king to take over. So they were under Roman occupation, right? They were enslaved, essentially, as they were in Egypt to the Romans now. And what were they expecting the Messiah to do? This king to come? To take them out of slavery, to reclaim the throne of David and to reign over the earth. In fact, you see this uh, very vividly in James and John, who say, we want to sit at your right and left hand when you come in your glory. That is, when you come in your earthly kingdom. They want to sit literally on his left hand and his right hand, and he'll be in the middle on the throne. Right? So they, they're expecting this earthly king. And when Jesus dies on the cross, you see the devastation of their dreams dash before their eyes. Right? This dream of Jesus taking over is totally taken away because he's died, right? The king has died, who is going to take back the throne, and they're completely thrown off. But what's the main emotion we see or the main characteristic we could describe them? They're fearful, so much so that, remember, Peter's boasts, even if I must die with you or not deny you, and all the disciples said the same. And then just a few hours later, we read, all the disciples left him and fled. And then what do we read in, in a little later in John's Gospel? On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, this is after Jesus died, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. I'm trying to paint a picture of disillusion and fear. They're completely thrown off, and they're completely in fear, because they think, guess who's next? Us. Jesus is dead. Guess who they're coming for next? Us and they're completely fearful. So what changed that? (laughs) What changed that fear? Because you read through the book of Acts, I did this recently, read through the book of Acts, and you see the exact opposite picture, don't you? They're not fearful, they're courageous, bold, confident. They risk everything. In fact, they're they're delighted to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus, right? They're, They're actually joyful at suffering. Like, it's ridiculous. They go exactly flip from these fearful, disillusioned people to these courageous, confident people. What changed? Well, there's two basic things that change, right? One's very obvious, okay? Jesus is no longer dead, okay? They saw Him risen, and in fact, they didn't just see Jesus risen from the dead, but they sat with Him for 40 days, ate with Him. He taught them, right? They experienced the risen Jesus, Okay, that's huge. But I would say even I would say even bigger, but the key reason is not that, as much as what Jesus gave them, or who Jesus gave them, and that is of course the Holy Spirit. These men went from frightened and disillusioned beyond belief to courageous, bold witnesses for the risen Christ. This is very key. If you miss this in the Christian life, really you miss the power to live the Christian life. This was not their power. If you read Acts thinking about human power and ability, then what you do is, and this is what I've done over the course of my life many times, I've read Acts and I go, Man, God, where am I? Like, who am I? Am I even a believer? Like, look at these guys. But when we read Acts, we see it's not their power, don't we? What does Jesus say very early on? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As I said, I suppose over the years as I've read Acts, I've had this question, maybe not that I've ever verbalized, but basically it's been there in the back of my mind, thinking and maybe when you read lots of the New Testament, but especially Acts, I've had this question like, why is there such a disconnect between my life and my experience and that of these men and these churches? Why is there such a disconnect between what I see in me and so much of the church today and what I see here in this book? You might say, and I think you'd rightly answer me if you said this, well, the the apostles were unique, JJ. They, they They were unique, and certainly in one sense they were unique, that's for sure. They were the ones entrusted to bear witness to the risen Christ, they were led by the Spirit to record what we now have in our New Testament, right? They were inspired of the Spirit of God in that sense. They were led, they were led by the Lord to perform signs and wonders through them, at least in part to testify to, to put His stamp of approval on them, right? To say, these are my witnesses. So they, they were unique in that sense. God stamping His approval on them, that Christ Himself had set these apostles apart for the unique task as His special messengers. His witnesses, especially to the resurrection. Remember when Judas is um, when Judas betrays him. They say we need someone to replace him to be a witness to the resurrection of Christ. But even with that said, even if you, even if you just discount all the miracles and everything like that that they did, just for a moment, you put them aside and you say, okay, they're unique in a sense, which is true. What about the boldness? That's this is what I'm talking about. The boldness, the confidence, the faith, the love, the fellowship. What about this incredible picture of God's Spirit at work among the disciples in the early church? Why does there seem to be, at least in my mind and so much of what I see in the church today, such a disconnect between our life and our faith and so much of what we see here in the book of Acts? I hope I'm not alone here. (laughs) But you read it and you go, seriously? Hang on, wait a minute. Is this the same? Let's let's explore this. Very shortly after Jesus' words in John 15 here to abide in me, he says in this in John 16. Okay, so this is just following on. It's in the same discourse, it's in the same conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. He says these words, John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Okay? He's not saying it might be it might be as good as or kind of the next best thing than having me sitting in the chair next to you no he says it's to your advantage, it's better for you right, that I go away now you're thinking what I'm thinking right surely it's better if Jesus was here with us this morning like sitting in one of those chairs, critiquing my sermon no, he's sitting there in one of those chairs with us and we can talk to the risen Christ, Jesus says no it's more advantageous it's better for you for someone else to come the helper that is the holy spirit right the spirit of truth he goes on to describe in many different ways will not come to you if i do not go away the helper will not come to you but if i go i will send him to you this is huge don't miss this brothers and sisters god has been so kind to show me this new this truth in a new way in my life in this season so kind That to abide in Christ, this is what I'm saying today, if you're you're a bit blurry right now, this is what I'm saying, this is the essence of it. To abide in Christ and to walk by the Spirit are one and the same. To abide in Christ and to walk by the Spirit, the New Testament goes on to talk about walking by the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, living by the Spirit, staying in step with the Spirit, all these phrases, okay? They're one and the same. Jesus saying abide in me and walk by the Spirit, they're one in the same, okay? Romans 8 especially shows us how they're one and the same. Romans 8, 11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So Jesus saying, you can do nothing apart from me. Nothing of any eternal value or worth, nothing of lasting eternal significance can be done apart from Christ. We would ask Jesus, okay, how do I abide in you, Jesus? Because it's it's very, it's, it's got a, especially if you've been a Christian for a while, that phrase abiding in Christ kind of sounds like, oh yeah, I've heard that a lot of times. I've read that a lot of times. What does it actually look like? Well, walking by the Spirit. You might say, well, what's that look like? Well, hopefully I'll unpack that a little bit. We stay connected to the vine we stay connected to Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Okay, We stay connected to Jesus in a relationship with Jesus. The power of Jesus comes to us through the work of the Spirit in our lives. He is the power of God given to us to witness, yes, of course, that's primary in Acts, but also to live, to kill the sinful nature, we could say, as it says there in, in chapter 8 to birth the fruit of God in our lives. How do we, Jesus says, that you might bear good fruit, right? Good things that bring glory to the Father. How do we do that? By the work of the Spirit. And here lies my confession this morning. For far too long, I've quenched the Spirit in my life. Wittingly and unwittingly. Right? Knowingly and unknowingly. Brothers and sisters, the sad and scary truth for Christians is that we can quench God's Spirit in our lives. Okay? Okay? Ephesians says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, and I think that's talking primarily about sin. Okay? So obviously when we sin as Christians, we we cause sorrow to God's Spirit, who the Bible says dwells in those who follow Jesus, right? We have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. That's just crazy. But if he's dwelling in us, he's holy. When we do unholy things, we quench it we, we grieve him, right? We cause him sorrow. That's the idea of that phrase there in Ephesians. But there's another phrase in one Thessalonians that says, um, do not quench the spirit. Now that's a different word. Quenching is more about putting out a fire. Okay, smothering something. Kind of putting a blanket on it and saying, Look, mate, you stay in your zone, I'll stay in my zone, I'll do my thing, you do your thing. Okay, we've got a division here. Okay, don't you can come this far, God, but you can't come into this realm of my life. That's not acceptable. Okay? That's how he quenched the spirit. Does that make sense? So they're different they're slightly different things. Okay. Now what I'm saying is what I've realized in my life is, I, yes, I grieve the Spirit, hear me say that, but I also quench the Spirit. That is, I say, you can't come in here, you can't come in this space. I can do these things, I have freedom in Christ to do these things, so I'm going to do these things even though they're not good for you, even though they push your voice out of my life. Does that make sense? Happy to speak more about that after if you want to talk to me about that. Let me show you one more place where what I'm talking about is true. Hebrews 12, a passage you'll know well, I'm sure. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So what's the writer of Hebrews saying? There's sins and there's weights. That is, there are things that are sinful and there are things that just hold us down. Okay, That's what we're talking about here with quenching, I think. It's that we choose things that are not best. And we say, oh, but God lets me do these things. But I say, do they help you run the race? And I and I think in my life, God's opened my eyes in the last few months to go, JJ, these things don't help you run. They don't help you connect with me. They actually push me out. And I don't want to do those things. Because I need God. <laughs> because I need to abide in Christ if I want to do things that bring honor to the Father. And I want to do things that bring honor to the Father, don't you? If you're not here this morning and your heart, even if inside you wrestle with this, because I wrestle with this, but your heart is not like, hey, I want everything I do, I want it to bring glory to the Father. Well, if you want to, brothers and sisters, God's given you everything you need. But sometimes we just go, oh, you can have have 95% God, but the 5%, that's mine. Why? And and what I want to encourage you guys to see this morning, we won't spend too much time here because I want to get to a passage, but... Jesus is not offering us less than what we can get outside of Jesus. And I think we believe this. This is the other lie I think we believe. Fear. But what inside of fear is this, brothers and sisters, we believe, this is what I believe, right? Like, this is what I have believed and, and I'm wrestling with the Lord to help me not believe, is we believe actually we lose out. If we really follow Jesus with all our heart, we'll actually lose out. I think that's what we believe. But faith says... No, God actually offers us more. God actually offers us greater joy. So just let me show you this in, in, one, in a few places, right? Just so you know what I'm saying, I hope. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And you became imitators of us and the Lord. You received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. This phrase, especially from, from, this is from Psalm 16, it's got to be one of the best Psalms, right? You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Now, if there's fullness of something, that means there's nothing lacking, right? So if we can come in God's presence and have fullness of joy, how could there be something outside of that that would be greater than it? It's impossible. Jesus says, I have written, in in fact, very, very contextual to our sermon today. Jesus says at the end of our passage in verse 11, what? I've written, I've said these things to you, I've spoken these things to you so that you may have joy, my joy, in fact, Jesus says, and that your joy would be complete, full, right? So what I'm trying to say to you, that the lie from the devil is that if you follow JJ really, God offers you something, but... There's actually more beyond God. There's there's other things outside of God that that give you greater joy. That's a lie. Jesus is the only one who can give us fullness of joy. And you know what? In in this season of my life, I've never realized that like I've realized it before. I have, and I don't say this to boast, but just just to encourage you, I have removed things from my life, not sins, but things that didn't help me to enjoy God. And I've never experienced so much joy. People would say, oh, that's sacrifice. Oh, you don't need to do that. You don't need to get rid of that. And I would say to you, yeah, but the fruit is joy. Why would I not? <laughs> I want to just encourage you guys. Just go deeper with the, all that God's given you. Go deeper with the joy he offers you. I want to... Um, I didn't time myself, so I don't know where I'm at. But I really want to just close this morning, I suppose, with a picture of, of this. Because um, you might say... Um, You might say to me, yeah, that all sounds good in theory, like okay, like you're talking up here stuff about joy and God and fruit and but what's that look like in the life? Well let's look at a life that had fullness of joy in God, yeah? Let's do that to close. So open if you've got your Bibles, open to Mark chapter one. Before I read that, let me just say let me say it slightly differently. If, if we want to experience what the apostles experienced, what was the difference between them and us? If you ask me that question, what's the difference, JJ, between the apostles and what you experience in your life and what you say you see in much of the church? The one word I would explain to you with that is surrender. They were totally surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Now, they still sin. don't get me wrong. There were moments of absolutely of doubt and distrust. You see that even in Paul having to rebuke Peter, right? When Peter kind of leads them astray. Like, totally, there's still sin there, okay? They're not perfect. But the difference between me, let's say, and them, is that one word, surrender, right? They, they said to the Holy Spirit, I am yours. Everything. And in fact, they believe the words of the Lord Jesus. Apart from you can do nothing. And they lived that. But I want to show you the perfect picture of that, right? So Mark chapter 1. What's this joy look like? What's it lead to? In Mark chapter 1, uh, Mark loves using the word immediately. You might might have known that. In fact, in his small, kind of small gospel really compared to the others, just 16, just 16 chapters, he has the word 35 times, okay? Immediately. It's this fast-paced Account, and in fact, people have said if you read Mark properly, you can't finish the Gospel of Mark and not be exhausted by the end because that's how he's writing it. It's like he's probably talking to Peter. Okay, that's probably what's happened here. He's talking to the Apostle Peter. He's recounting uh, the the account, what's happened with his life with Jesus, and as he's done this, Mark's kind of jotting it down, and it's this crazy kind of saddleback account, like where you're just like on a horse and it's going nuts, right? Uh, maybe a Paul's better description, but you're just exhausted by the end. He keeps saying immediately Jesus did this, immediately this happened and immediately this and in chapter one there's a bunch of them if you want to just get a bit of a picture of that. but in chapter one, Jesus is been led immediately by the Spirit into the, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay, that's another sermon for another day. But he's led by the Spirit immediately into the desert after he's been baptized, as as he's been recognized as God's Son in his baptism. Soon after this, he comes into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he enters the synagogue and is teaching. Immediately, there's a man with an unclean spirit, and the Spirit knows who Jesus is, the Holy One of God, right? Jesus casts out the demon, and the people are amazed. And then let's look from verse 29. Mark chapter 1, verse 29. was gathered together at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and did not permit the demons to speak because they knew him and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Out of all the people in the world who needed not to pray if you want to use that silly phrase (laughs) Jesus was at the top right? I mean he's God of very God. He's He's the Word who existed with God, who was God, who all things were made. I read this morning, nothing was made apart from him that has been made. I mean, in him all things hold together. He's the radiance of God's glory. This one, the Christ, the Son of God, we could say he didn't need to pray. And yet, I think if we read the Bible properly, we say, he's the one who knew above all things his need. And, I add, his joy to pray. Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. For Jesus, prayer, we could say communion with God. Prayer sometimes is an unhelpful word communing with his Father, enjoying his Father's presence, bringing his needs to his Father, worshipping his Father, right? Through the Spirit, which is very clear in all the Gospels, right? He did everything he did by the power of the Spirit. Interesting that he does the same thing for us. (laughs) Was so essential for Jesus that he rose very early, Mark tells us, while it was still dark. He departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Jesus, who in the example Mark gives us, has every reason to sleep in. Okay? Remember what's just happened in the context. Immediately, immediately, immediately. He's been up all night with people, healing people. Now, he was fully human. He's fully exhausted. Like, it's just been the longest 24 hours, maybe even more than that. And he's just, you know that feeling? You know that feeling. When you, maybe you've had friends over for days and it's just been insane. You've, been, you've had a funeral service and you're just exhausted, exhausted. Jesus is feeling that. He's feeling what you felt. But guess what is greater for Jesus? He knows his need and his desire is to commune with his Father. Isn't that beautiful? Like he didn't have to wake up. And yet on the other side, he couldn't do anything else. <laughs> it's exactly what he needed and wanted to do. Hebrews says for the joy set before him. You know what? You know what got through Jesus through all the shame and all the pain and all the wrath of God on the cross? Joy. He had joy in his heart. Isn't that beautiful? We think, we think of we think of the word duty. That's our favorite word when we think about God. We need to obey him. Jesus' favorite word is joy. I did everything to please the Father, he says. I do it to please him. That's a that's a word of joy and delight and pleasure. And that Psalm sixteen ties in there, doesn't it? It's it's about pleasure in God. Isn't that beautiful? I don't know how you think about your relationship with God, but if your greatest word is duty, man, you've you've fallen so short. It's it's joy, right? Jesus did it for joy. He did it, I think, for two joys. One was his father, and one was bringing many sons and daughters to glory. He had you in his heart. When he was on that cross, he needed communion with God. He knew his need. We, Jesus talks about abide in me, and you can do nothing apart from me. Jesus knew that apart from the Father, he, he he didn't. He knew nothing apart from the Father. They were inseparable. He wouldn't have it any other way. It was his delight. It was his need as a human who was tempted and needed God. He knew that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Luke tells us Jesus would would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This wasn't a once-off thing. I mean, there's other times in the gospel where he prays because he's going to anoint the apostles or there's big things going on. But Luke gives us a picture here that these were, these were his frequent occurrence, to wake early, exhausted, and find his rest, not in a bed, but in God. Brothers and sisters, as we close this morning, I I want to invite you, by God's grace, into a deeper surrender to the Spirit of God in your life. To see His power and His presence. To find His joy. Jesus wants you to have not just joy. Isn't this beautiful? I noticed this recently. God doesn't want to just give you a gift of joy. Here you go, guys. Have some joy. No, Jesus says, my joy in you. He wants to give you his joy so that your joy will be complete. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, Jesus says, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Let us surrender our lives, brothers and sisters, maybe once again, maybe for the first time, in full so we say, what's that look like, JJ? Well, when I prayed, I have a bit of a song I wrote recently. It's, it's became more of a prayer than a song now, but it, it says this. It says, fill me with your spirit. Flood me with your word. Make my heart a place where nothing is off limits to you. Take me in sweet surrender. Make me fully yours, wholly yours. Um, lead me by your spirit that in you I may abide. You know, I think I forgot one line there, but that that idea of surrendering everything to Him, not leaving a place in our lives where we say, no, this isn't for You. Where we say, no, God, I need You. I need You every moment to to do anything worthwhile. And so just continuing to come back to Him moment by moment. Let me pray for us, brothers. Father, I trust this morning that the things we need to hear Your Spirit will echo in our hearts and cause us to repent and to grow And to be filled, I pray, with your joy, Lord Jesus. Your grace knows no bounds, your mercy no limits. Your love for us, Father, is even as you love Christ, it seems to be too good to be true. We believe, help our unbelief. Father, grant us such a sweet rest in Christ this day by the power of a surrendered life to your Holy Spirit that we, I pray, Father, might abide in you, Lord Jesus, abiding in your love, obeying you, not from duty, but from delight in our hearts, worship and joy, that we might bear much fruit, Father, for your glory, because we are your disciples, Lord Jesus. Father, grant us rest, we pray, in such a deep and profound way, by truly resting in Christ, in whose name we ask and expect wonderful things. Amen. As I said, brothers and sisters, I'm very happy to speak with anyone afterward, um, but I just trust the Lord has stirred your hearts as he stirred mine and um, pray that it would be a continual blessing for you. I'll hand it back to whoever's up next.